What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this special episode from the archives. This is a golden oldie full of great evergreen advice for writers. It's a rerun, basically. Whilst we work on something very, very special. Or very, very special indeed. We were so young and naive, weren't we, Mark? Oh, we were, but our guests, our guests were brimming with wisdom. So enjoy. And we'll be back next week with a brand spanking new episode of The Bestseller Experiment. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to The Bestseller Experiment, where we discover what makes a best-selling novel while trying to write, publish and market one in just a year. I'm Mark Stay. And I am Mark DeVoe. So, Mr. Stay, interesting week this week. Quite a lot's happened on the novel front, hasn't it? Yeah, we are rocking and we are rolling. Um, Slipstream. Yeah, we really have. And you know why? You know why, Mark? Because we had a really good outline. That's why. Yeah, Mr. Aronovich, we had a really good outline. We're sticking by that. For anyone who missed out, you've got to go back and listen to the Ben Aronovich podcast. People are saying that there have been lots of tweets about people feeling quite embarrassed sitting on trains going for walks whilst listening to this podcast because it is very funny and you kind of do burst out laughing in, in very unusual We've situations. nearly caused so. at least three car crashes from the tweets yes. that I've seen. So drive safely, people. Should come with some kind of warning. But just just this afternoon, uh, Twitter, uh, as Dave Graham on Twitter, is at D-A-K-E-G-D-E-G-R-A. Uh, he was saying, he's just listened to it, and he was like, uh, so how's it going? And immediately Ben chips in and says, what are you up to? How, how many words have you done? Have you done chapter one? I was like, yes, we are now 37,000 words in. I was like, that, that's just chapter one. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's our second outline, isn't it? Mark? So he's still, <laughs> he's still chivying us along. So it's, it's great, isn't it? It is we good. We didn't expect it, it but it's, it's really it's kept us of, on our toes. <laughs> there's nothing like having a successful author with a rather long stick prodding you at the bottom to keep you moving forward. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't our intention of the podcast, but we do appreciate it, Ben. So, you know, keep it up. Keep it up. So, Mark, this week you've had an incredible opportunity to meet up with Joe Ho. Tell us a bit about Joe. Joe is amazing. I first heard Joe on another podcast talking about her career, and she was really inspiring to me. And I thought, I've, I've got to catch up with Joe. And we, we chat on Twitter and Facebook all the time. Uh, and it was just a great opportunity to catch up with her. She's a screenwriter. Uh, she's probably best known for creating a, a BBC TV series called Spirit Warriors. Um, she's been credited as the first Chinese person uh, in the UK to have created an original television drama series. Um, she's an incredible screenwriter. Uh, and uh, she's had tremendous success. She's very, very uh, frank and open about her writing online. And she's done an amazing thing. You know, she's she's a screenwriter who has gone into self-publishing. 
And she's got a couple of books out. One is called Wanted, uh, which is a kind of uh, a YA uh, thriller. And she's just published a couple of days ago, The Boy Next Door, which is another YA mystery thriller novella. So, well, we'll listen to it in the interview. She's had, she's had some success. And mm. I, I managed to catch up with her in a very nice cafe in southeast London. Um, it's got that lovely coffee vibe to it, hasn't it? It's got a lovely background noise to it, which makes me think of the Spam sketch in Monty Python. Bake <laughs> 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 bees are off! <laughs> so, and what I, what I love about, um, and just to put this into context, you know, it's, obviously, Joe originally came from the script world. Yeah. And one thing that I've always been fascinated and intrigued by is how that all works. And I think, you know, for a lot of authors, it's a similar thing, because I think there's, there is a dream that many of us have that when writing a book, wouldn't it be incredible if one day, you know, dot, 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 it might turn into a TV show or it might turn into a movie. And so what's really fascinating for me, and I hope our listeners enjoy this as well, is kind of getting a bit of a glimpse into the the world of, of script writing and understanding how it works. Because maybe one day, you know, if you listen to this, you might be challenged with that by someone. You might be, you might be asked to write a, a script of your book or, you know, your book might get optioned. And so we want to delve into this because it's all part of the experiment, right, Mark? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And you've kind of been there before as well. So it's, it's interesting to get your take on it as well. But absolutely, let's dive in and listen to Joe Ho in a bustling cafe somewhere in London. Joe, thank you so much for coming on the Bestseller Experience. Lovely to see you. How are you today? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Now, you released a new book just yesterday, didn't you? Tell me, how's, how's that going? It's going great. It's only my second book, so I'm still pretty new at this, but it, uh, it got 10 great reviews already, and it's now number one in one category and number two in two other categories, so that's just within 24 hours. And what's it called? It's called The Boy Next Door. Is that a sequel to Wanted, or is that a whole new series? It's a novella. Um, it's a, a young adult mystery, a suspenseful mystery that should keep you turning the pages trying to figure out what actually is happening. It's a sweet little story. It's, uh, it's something I actually originally wrote as a short film. And I tried to get it made as a short film, but I couldn't find funding for it. Uh, so I adapted it and changed it around a bit. And, um, and I actually prefer it more now in this incarnation than as a short film. Well, look, let, let's go back to the beginning, really, because you've had great success as a screenwriter. And were you BAFTA nominated? Or? I was, no, I was on a long list, I think. My show was, uh, it was nominated for um, Best Children's show, Drama in the Broadcast Awards, um, which was a big deal. We were up against the Gruffalo. <laughs> they won. <laughs> you know, that's a really renowned, you know, book by a very famous author in the UK. But uh, we were very, very happy to even be considered, you know, amongst something like that. What I did was I wrote a feature script that was a personal story and uh, it was called Monkey Nut Tales and it was sort of like a magical realism drama. It stars three Chinese women, uh, one of whom is only 10 uh, and the middle one is mentally ill. Then the grandmother who's 65 who doesn't speak English. So you can see how this was had blockbuster written all over it. Um, I knew it was going to be a hard sell, but it was a personal story. It was something I really cared about. It dealt with mental illness and how Chinese community sort of uh, views it. But it was a lovely, lovely story, and I wrote it, and I kind of got that in the hands of someone quite big at the BBC. Uh, I had been trying to get into the BBC via the normal routes, like through the writer's room, any kind of schemes or competitions and just nobody was interested but I knew I had something and I was determined that somebody would look at it so I managed to get it in the hands of a big they're called Ruth Caleb she was the first 
female to run a drama department at the BBC. And uh, she's awesome. She's amazing. And she loved it. And then she recommended me to all the drama departments at the BBC. So then from me trying so hard to get meetings and say, please look at me, please talk to me. She just basically said, to him, you need to talk to this girl. <laughs> and then apparently, I think when Ruth says that, people listen. So I was really lucky that way. And then I met with all the departments. They all read and loved the script. How did you make contact with Ruth? Was that via an agent or was that you knocking on doors? There was some kind of uh, scheme, like a development scheme that I got onto, and uh, she was one of the guest speakers there. I'm one of those annoying people that I'm always looking for opportunities. So, you know, everyone there is interested in finding talent, but you just have to approach them the right way. And you don't lie to them and you don't big yourself up. You just tell them the truth, tell them who you are, and be genuine and honest. And I found that's got me into lots of places, like that got me into Miramax and and things like this, just from being honest from and from cold calling, actually. I don't know, that's, that's probably a fun one. Well, I think it's very interesting to hear because, you know, I, I go to things like the London Screenwriters Fest or whatever, and, you know, you're there as a writer and you worry about the protocol yeah. of approaching people like this. And, do you, you know, you don't want to come across as too pushy or a nut job, you know, yeah. but you seem to have found the fine art of just saying, here I am. I'm very American in how I do things. I hope I'm not abrasive. I also come from a background where my family are immigrants, so we didn't have any money and it was a struggle and my parents didn't even finish school. So it's been real hard graft trying to get here and I've not had any help or luxury or any security really. So when your life is literally on the line and rent has to be paid or you'll be homeless, that really kind of puts a perspective. So focuses the mind. Yeah, yeah. So when you talk to people, I, hope, I think what happens is people can see that you're genuine. People can see that you really are wa- wanting this and that you're working for this and you're trying to do everything you can. But everybody needs some help somewhere. You know, everybody needs a break. Everybody just needs that one thing sometimes. But I think to get that, you've got to ask for it. No one just comes up to you and says, here's your chance. Um, But I think being genuine and I think also learning as much as you can and showing these people when you go up to them that you're trying the best that you can. You just want to break. You're not saying you want a favor. You're just saying, will you look at what I've done already? I've done the research on you. I've done the research on your company. I've seen the kind of stuff you make. I think you might like this. Would you please just have a look? That's great advice. And things like the development scheme where people like this hang out, that's through going on things like the BBC Writers Room website and and other... Yeah, I mean, this was a while ago when I started in the industry, so I, I was on a lot of forums. There were things like Mandy.com, I don't know if they're still around, just just all these websites before that you could search for opportunities in the film industry. Admittedly, they're really few and far between, and typically, if there is an opening somewhere, it probably will go to somebody who, who knows somebody, unfortunately. It's just kind of how it is. But I did a lot of cold calling when I started, and I started... Whilst I was writing, I was also trying to get jobs on film production because I wanted to know everything about filmmaking. And I literally just started cold calling companies from A and told them who I was, told them that I was up for learning. Did they have anything that I could come, you know, even if it's just a week, you know, uh, and I got my jobs that way. Now, your first self-published novel was in November. Yes. And then in December, I saw you tweeting that well, you'd had a bit of success, hadn't you? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it got to bestseller status because it hit sort of number one in some of the categories that it was in. 
So congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Is this linking to the podcast in any way? Well, I just know I certainly Mark and I are thinking, I'm sure all our listeners are. You published in November, you get to number one in December. How did you do it, Joe? Um it's 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 important to know it's like number one in some of the categories and that's sort of That's good enough for me. <laughs> I kind of did it. This is naughty. You guys shouldn't do this. Do your homework. Don't write the book and put it up and then just pray, you know, which is kind of what I did. I had lots of stuff going on. And my boyfriend was coming over from the States and he's not here that often. So I had all this stuff building up. I just had to get it all done. Um, And uh, what I did was I, I joined a bunch of Facebook groups. This has been the most amazing thing for me because there are so many Facebook groups with self-published authors. Um, lots of them in the same boat as you and I, or they're just starting up. Some people are in there and they haven't published anything yet, but they're building up to when they publish, which is 100% what I recommend to you guys. And you just learn from the people who are doing it. And a lot of these writers that I'm in the goots with, they've only been going for three or four years, so not that long. But a lot of these are already on six figures, some of them on second, seven figures, and they're outselling your traditionally published authors, and they're making a hell of a lot more money than they are. Um, and, you know, I'm talking money because, listen, this is a business. It's like any other business, you know, and that's how I treat it. So I want to entertain the masses, but I need to pay my bills too. Um, and those authors, I mean, they're just awesome. You have any questions, you shove it in there, no matter how stupid. No one takes a mickey. You know, everyone knows that we all had to start somewhere. They only started a few years ago, they remember. And typically in each of these Facebook groups I'm in, as soon as you join, right at the top, there's the 100 most asked things from newbies. So you don't actually even have to ask. If you go into these groups, these guys have done the work for you. So you just got to go in there and read it all and, and gather it in. Any of these groups that you particularly recommend when you go to again and again? I'm writing YA books at the moment, so there's a great one that I'm in. It's A-A-Y-A-A. <laughs> but it's like it's like an alliance for young adult authors. I'm sorry, guys. I never get the whole thing. Um, and they're awesome. And loads of people in there. But what they also have in there is they do great things like uh, Tuesday Team Up. Every single Tuesday, if you've got a book that's just come out or or you're tweeting something and you want more eyes on it, you just put it in there. And then anybody that sees it and wants to help, they then tweet it to their followers. And everyone kind of helps and supports and nurtures um, in that way. And the other one that I love is a For Love or Money group, or for Susan K. Quinn. She's brilliant when she started that one. She's also written a couple of how-to indie right, uh, and self-published book. If I'd done it the proper way... Absolutely, I would have got her books first, did what she said in there, and then launched my book, because it would have been more successful, actually. But uh, write the book. But whilst you're writing the book, I would say, give yourself at least a few months to try and learn how the process of launching a book, how to give your book the best chance possible, because writing a great book is just the first part. It's getting eyes on it is the hardest part. Getting your book to be what they call sticky, so it sticks in the charts and stays high ranking. That's like a whole other, you know, thing. And there's a lot of stuff you've got to constantly do to keep that ball rolling, unless you're super lucky and you did everything right. Um, and then you can just watch it be high all the time and just keep on getting reviews and things. When you're going onto the Facebook groups, are you doing that on your personal Facebook or are you doing it? Because there are two Joe Ho's on my Facebook timeline and my, one is your author page, isn't it? So what, what, what are you using to join the groups? I'm actually just using the author page for people to join my page and see the stuff that I talk about my books and my writing. But I'm actually using my personal Facebook for everything else, which I probably shouldn't, but, you know, 
I never do things properly. <laughs> seems, seems to be working for you. Can we talk about how you break up your day? Because you're saying there are things you can do to remain sticky. Uh, we, we've talked to other authors about marketing and, and how much it takes up. What's your average day like? I haven't quite got it structured yet like my screenwriting would be. Um, but I am finding at the moment what I'm trying to do is spend some time on Monday, maybe half the day on Monday, doing promoting marketing work and again on Friday and then trying to do the rest of the time writing books. It's not really working because I've got two films I'm supposed to do as well. So. <laughs> I've just also, uh, I started publishing my screenplays as well. I saw that. Did you? Because I realised nobody's done it and I don't know if this is going to be successful. I've got a ton of those I could vlog. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I don't know that this is going to be a successful experiment because nearly all that are up of very famous movies, you know, like The Matrix or something. And then I just suddenly thought, but I've got all the like you, you know, we've got all these screenplays and they're not earning us any money while they're not getting made. Um, and then I also thought, you know how this, our industry, the film industry, TV industry, they like a sure thing right now. And so it's always about established IP. If you're an established brand like Harry Potter, people are going to throw money at you to make it. If you're an original writer with an original project with no existing IP, no one wants to know, no matter how good it is. It's... it's- Slightly reassuring and depressing to hear this from another screenwriter, but it's true, isn't it? It's, it's very, very difficult. True. It's absolutely true. I and mean, when, when you guys think, oh, Hollywood makes all these terrible films, you know, why don't people just write original pro-? We are. They're not making them. Don't for a second think we're not. We really are. And they're freaking good as well. <laughs> you know, but they're not getting made because Hollywood loves a sure thing. And, they're, you know, and their budgets are getting astronomical. So... Yeah, stakes are getting higher. You know, they're not willing to make the gamble. There's this very sort of low pocket for low-budget indie movies, which we're all trying to make. Or there seems to be these giant tentpole movies. There's not too much in between. And that's sort of their lives, the difficulty. So I just thought, you know, why don't I just try and get an established IP fan base for my screenplays? You know, why not? Because And your books as well. I mean, certainly I know that I've got story ideas that I've... I went to LA last year and you go around, you pitch it around and and I heard exactly the same thing that you've been hearing and I thought, well, if they're looking for an IP, I need to write a book. I need to make my own IP. Is that what sort of spurred you on to do the self-publishing or was that just something you wanted to do anyway? Oh, no, absolutely. The same way that I started, you look for opportunities when you don't have the contacts or the trust funds and, you know, that sort of thing. You've got to think outside the box and think, what is no one else doing? What can I do that's different? Um, A lot of my ideas that I write are really big budget. They're really big ideas. End of the world, you know, saving the world, apocalypse, zombies, you know spirit ninjas stuff you know that sort of thing um so (laughs) spirit ninjas aren't cheap i can tell you that i know we only had a couple in my show actually believe it or not it looks like there's thousands we had like five guys it was hysterical um we had five we could only afford five it was this bbc budget so i think i think the thing to do is to you know look for opportunities and look for ways to doing it so I decided i've got all these stories and all these ideas and that lots of my high concept But then I just thought, why don't I just turn them into series of books? Because one, I can connect with readers. That's like very hard to get to the stage where they get to actually see your work. I wanted people to read my work. I wanted people to enjoy my stories, to get what I'm trying to say, get the themes and messages, love the characters as much as I love them, and to be entertained, you know, so I wanted that. I just thought, well, actually self-publishing is a way of controlling that for yourself. As a screenwriter, you write your project and then it's in the hands of everybody else. You don't get a choice what happens. If somebody buys it or a producer comes on board or directors come on board, you then have to do what they want. And then 
there's nothing you can do then in that process. It's literally taken, your baby is taken away from you. And whether it happens or not, whether it works or not, whether it, the final thing is what you, you, you know, conceived, all of that is out of your hands as the writer, which I think a lot of people don't realise, you know. And self-publishing, you get to decide everything. And then at the same time, it's such a fast industry and you can interact with people so quickly. If something isn't working, someone can tell you and you can fix it very fast, which I love that as well. It's so amazing right now that I can write the book in two weeks and then publish it. And then people are reading it like a few weeks later. That never happens in screenwriting. Was there a light bulb moment where, what sparked the idea in you? You know, when you, you sort of see these hot, big Hollywood movies coming out now, it's always based on the best-selling book, isn't it? And then I was just like, okay, that's it. I'm going to write best-selling books. I'm just going to do it backwards. Also, I did have a meeting at Heyday, which is the you know, producers behind Harry Potter. Yeah. And one of the things that happened is I pitched them a project, which they really, uh, the head of development really loved. But she said to me that even they would find it hard to make because it was original and it was expensive and it was an established IP. And I just thought, well, Jesus, like, if even the Harry Potter people are saying this, what chance do we normal mortals have of actually having these things happen? And then her advice to me, actually, was, why don't you write this as a book and then when it's a bestseller, <laughs> when, it's a, when it's a class, just, just like that, like it's so easy, you know. But that is what her advice was, and it, and it was at the back of my head for about a year or two. And then suddenly I just, I kind of got fed up with how long things were taking. Going into self-publishing, did you make any big mistakes? Is there anything you'd look back at? Oh, we've pulled a face. Okay, take, take us through just the top 10, maybe. <laughs> I try not to write them down, you know. <laughs> okay, top whatever mistakes. Um, number one, not do my research before I launch my book. I cannot stress this enough. Uh, look for these groups, look for these authors that I've already mentioned, see if you can join their groups. They have all this free information. Um, you know, you don't even have to buy books if you can't afford them or don't want to. We could listen to a podcast, oh, for example. Absolutely, exactly. Listen to these podcasts. Listen, there's, you know, they're there to help. You know, they're, these are people who are, well, apart from me, all the others have so far been experts, haven't they? <laughs> and then there's me. Why am I here? <laughs> You're a bestseller, that's why. <laughs> listen to the podcast and then do what they tell you. You know, see how they do things. That's another thing that I would say is to build up your mailing list. Because you build up a mailing list of people who are already interested in your books. Then when you launch a book, you hit them up beforehand. And you say, hey, you know, this is coming out. You can for sure give away your books if you want to. They're your books. And then hopefully some people will read it. And then if they like it, hopefully they will leave reviews. Reviews are crucial because other people judge your book based on what the reviews are saying and how many stars it has. So I'd say build up your mailing list, do your research, get a professional cover designed. But I'm actually having my first one redone now because I think it's not cutting it for the audience. So I'm relaunching that book in a few months' time. And I'll probably relaunch it at the same time that I launch the second book in the series. Um, so oh, big plans, people. That's great. That's something that publishers do. Speaking as someone who works for a big publisher, if a cover doesn't work, yeah. they'll have tens of thousands of copies out there already printed they have to wait really till they sell them before they can print them again but with self-publishing you have the flexibility to turn on a, a, a pin and and get it right the second time around so that sounds get yourself a website also that's kind of crucial people need to have somewhere to go it should say something like join my mailing list the number one thing you want when you start up is not actually to sell books. I know you think it is, but I think the number one thing is to get fans and get a mailing list together. Because those people, if they like your stuff, they will buy your stuff. 
and then they will also recommend your stuff, you know. When you started out with a website and a mailing list, yeah. <clears throat> you said um, some authors offer short stories. Did you have anything to offer you didn't have anything to start no so my mailing list that's one of my mistakes that I made my mailing list was basically people I knew (laughs) and a few people that I got off of a promo on I joined a a thing for a month insta freebie and it's basically a website that you join you can put whole books up there or chapters or anything really and just give it away but you can require that they sign up to your mailing list I made a mistake of uh, just sending out a few chapters on insta freebie so I did get about 40 or 50 people join up, but that's nothing, you know. Whereas if you give away a whole book, you'll get thousands of people joining. Thousands, yeah, you, you really do. People like freebies. But if you're writing a standalone book, this only really works if it's book one of a series. So what I did was I wrote a short story, a novella. It's what we call a magnet to attract readers. You sort of say, join my mailing list and get a free book, you know. And then also within your novella or book that you give away, you should feature the first few chapters of the book that you're actually trying to sell, which is what I've done. So Wanted, the first few chapters are in there. Did you use an editor? Editors cost a lot of money. I don't want to spend if I don't have it. I'm really running this like a proper business. So I haven't used an editor that charges, but like websites that do this for you, one's called Grammarly, one's called Pro Writing Aid, and they sort of range in price. And then you basically can put in your whole manuscript and it will flag up immediate issues, you know, um, sort of spelling mistakes, extra spacing or wrong grammar. It obviously won't catch everything and it won't be as good as a pair of eyes, but it for sure will pick out, weed out, you know, basic mistakes. But even then, there's still, you know... Well, usually as soon as you publish, you you open it and go, hang on, I I swear to God, why didn't we catch that one? You know, it's really... Page one. Yeah, (laughs) it's really annoying. Three of us do this professionally. Why are we all missing this, you know? What I intend to do is when this is doing really well as a business I will pay someone to go back and do it all properly and make sure they're all perfect when you first start I wouldn't say go crazy and trying to spend because it costs thousands it can cost thousands of pounds for an editor and who has that sitting around if you're a newbie you know writer trying to do this don't fret too much just try your best and then get one of these online editor things and then just publish it and then later when you start making money then you can try and go back and you know get a proper editor how long did it take you to write Wanted, for example? Oh, my God. I started it six years ago, and then I got super busy with all the film work and the TV work, and I just did not have time to go back. And then last year, my boyfriend read some of it, and he just said, my God, this is so good. Why have you not done this? You know. And then he really was the encouragement that I needed to sit my butt down and, and get my first book out. Um, and then it was just super fast. I was trying to do, like, 10,000 words a day, um, and th- which was what I was doing. Hello. How many a day? About 10,000. <laughs> 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 Why are we laughing? 10, th- are you on speed? <laughs> Just coffee. I've always written fast, but I realise one of the main things you can do as a writer, as an author, uh, and, and a screenwriter too, is... When it takes you longer, it's because you write one sentence and then you're like, oh, that's not good enough. And then you go back and you spend half an hour, you know, tweaking that sentence to death, you know, and that takes a long time. So I've now not having the luxury of having a lot of time. For me, the best way to do it is to blitz it. Do not worry about how it sounds on the pages you're writing. Just write that. Just get the first draft done. The beautiful writing comes when you start editing, when you go back and rewrite. So I would literally just write... 
I never went back. And that's how I did it really fast. And that's how I was doing like 10,000 words a day. Well, no, I won't say it now because otherwise producers will be like, hang on. You said on this podcast that you can do this in this time. So why <laughs> never tell execs and producers how fast you can work? Okay. It takes the mystery out of it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So what's in the future for you, Joe? What are your ambitions for your books? Well, they're all bestsellers, obviously. All of them. Um, I just want to do really well. I want to get to a point where lots of readers are discovering them and loving them, and then they develop their own IP, and then the studios will be like, here, here's, here's all the money. Let's turn them into movies. Yeah, you have Heyday crawling over broken glass <laughs> to uh, option them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that's kind of the plan. I mean, it, it's it's still you know I still have the films and the TV series. That's always my main big goal. Uh, but I've I've learnt now it is a marathon, not a sprint. You can't control so much in in the film and TV world. Um, you can only control your writing. That's that's all you can control. And I never knew it would be this fun. And I never knew that I would have so much. Um, just get so much from it you know um i'm really you know i'm really thriving doing this actually the self-publishing side um and then with the screenplays too um the two that are out at the moment i designed the covers myself i did that myself very proud <laughs> no one write in and say they're terrible okay because i'm very proud because i didn't know what i was doing so it's an experiment to see how that goes but i have sold i think I think I've sold the equivalent of about 30 now in one of them, which is not bad when they've only been up for like a month or two and uh, getting a lot of page reads in Kindle. So I think this is all money that you're getting for free that you wouldn't have otherwise. Where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me on my website, johoscribe.com. Um, also on Twitter as johoscribe. Uh, on Facebook as Joho Writer because I stupidly didn't figure out my brand <laughs> otherwise I'd be Joho Scribe everywhere <laughs> but yeah they can find me there you can join my mailing list on my website uh, and you may get a free book if you did that Joe, I know you're incredibly busy thank you so much for speaking to me today and huge huge best wishes for the future thank you so thanks. much thanks a lot thank you so much thanks bye bye wow Joe has the kind of energy that makes me realize what it sometimes takes to get places in this world. She was, she's a real firecracker, isn't she? She's brilliant. She's got chutzpah. She, chutzpah. She, chutzpah. she uh, spat all over the mic then. She, <laughs> she, I mean, she has that ability um, to basically walk up to someone and announce themselves without A, being a dick or B, falling to pieces, you know, <laughs> because it's that thing. I know we come across as confident on here, but I know that, you know, I talked about going to things like the London Screenwriters Festival and there are influential people there. But there's a bit of you thinking, what if I just go up there and make a complete pillow cow of myself, you know? But I think her point of, j just be honest, She took, we did chat for about an hour after we stopped recording and most of it's kind of unrepeatable gossip but she <laughs> she did she did tell me how one weekend she was in new york and she basically got a meeting with someone very very high up in miramax just by saying i'm in town i'm new i've got an idea that i think is perfect for miramax will you give me 10 minutes of your time and the assistant she spoke to said this girl sounds great you should meet with her and this person at Miramax says I don't normally do this but and uh, you know she got a meeting with someone at Miramax one of the most mm -hmm. influential independent film companies in the world yeah. uh, I, I'm in awe of her uh, she's brilliant it's brilliant, she's brilliant. I she, love she, that 
I love that in town line because it's like I'm only here for a limited time only. Yeah, <laughs> and it works though, doesn't it? Yeah, that's very much a screenwriter thing. Though I'm in town for a few days. What have you got for me? You know. Yeah, so. exactly. And th- this is what I like about. She says I'm always looking for opportunities. Tell them the truth, be honest, but never miss an opportunity. And that is kind of, I guess it's kind of an American trait, isn't it? You know, it's something that yeah. us us stiff Brits can struggle with sometimes. But I, I think that's something we need to embrace. If you're going to be a success, look for those opportunities and be bold enough to step up and say, I'm a writer. You know, I've mm-hmm. got ideas. I've got stuff you might be interested in. Let's talk. I had a lovely conversation actually following up from one of our previous episodes where we were talking about selling. And I know a lot of people feel uncomfortable about this idea of, yes. you know, Joe, Joe strikes me as someone who's a hustler. That's the kind of word that came to mind. She's a, she gets out there and she makes things happen. Yeah. I know for a lot of writers, that's not something that comes naturally to them. But I must admit, something beautiful conversation I had with Marva, just want to do a shout out to Marva. She was listening to the show a couple of weeks ago. And there was a point where we were discussing about this idea of selling and the awkwardness of selling yourself Uh, or even selling your book and people get really turned off by this idea of selling. And she said to me, a penny dropped for her in that suddenly she realized it's not about selling yourself or even selling the book, but it's about selling your passion. And it was so lovely to hear that. And, and I feel that that's the same with Jo. She's, she's passionate about what she does. You can feel that coming through and she is selling her passion and it's easier to talk about that. It's easier to talk about your passion than try to, as she said, you know, big yourself up and try to kind of talk about how great you are. Because that comes so unnaturally to most of us. And e- even if you know, North American English doesn't really matter, mm-hmm. it's kind of almost like a an anti-human trait to want to be. I mean, we all know somebody who's very good at doing that, about talking themselves up right now and saying how great they are. But yeah. it's that's not normal. <laughs> that, that's not normal for most people. You know, it's not something so it's a big, big thing to tackle, but I like, I like the way that Joe's obviously found this place where she's comfortable in herself about and confident in her abilities and confident in her stories. Yeah. And that really came through. Definitely. So, definitely. Um, she's very passionate about it and you can't really, I mean, you can fake it if you look at, you know, the commander in chief at the moment, but uh, I think you, you can tell the real thing and she's definitely the real deal. But I also think she has this, community approach she's not afraid she's and we've never heard this before this idea of the facebook groups for self-published authors you know she's gone in there she said i know we've joined some podcast groups to learn how to make Mm. podcasts um we've not really joined any facebook authors groups you know you know literally uh, five minutes ago i actually became a member of two of the groups she (laughs) (laughs) mentioned officially you have but what's interesting is there is like this podcast, hopefully, and, and other resources, there's loads and loads of support. This idea as a writer that we are alone, isolated in our little shack cabin in the middle of the woods uh, can be true for many people. And we can all get a bit of cabin fever, especially now towards the end, you know, beginning of spring, end of, end of winter. But with this online community, there's really no excuses for people to feel isolated because there is such an incredible network out there. Uh, I mean, I always recommend people join a writing group. So you've got that physical, you know, I go on retreats with the group. We get together and meet once a month and it's that physical interaction, which is great. But online, in terms of being able to tap into a wealth of knowledge worldwide and, and also learn from it from successful people, I think it's essential. 
Yeah, and the people on those groups, certainly I've seen this in the podcasting one, they're so ready to help out. There's no such thing as a stupid question. They understand that there are people who are new to this and they're ready to help. So, And, and mm. like she said, there's all this free information out there just, just waiting, you know. Um, it's, I, also uh, know I also know some groups, Mark, I've heard through the grapevine that – you know, there are these obviously private groups or public boot groups you have to apply to join. Yeah. But I've also heard that as you kind of start to get up the bestseller tree, there are kind of some very exclusive groups where there might only be 15 authors, but they, they set a minimum bar of you have to have sold at least 50,000 or you have to have sold at least 100,000. And when you get into those groups, then you, you start working with kind of people like superstars if you like within there and, and it's so there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes is that, is that, is that like the masons do you have to wear an apron or something <laughs> yes Just, secret, hand, yeah. secret handshakes but i think at that level you know as you as you progress if you like up the charts i think more and more doors open because you can start to then it's a bit like songwriting in a way you can't really walk into a room and write a song with ed sheeran if you don't have a background but if you're one of the best songwriters in the world then you get to kind of join those songwriting rooms in like Nashville and places like that. And I think there's similar things going on in the, in the writing world. So if you're part of one of those secret groups, um, share with us on our Facebook page at Bestseller Experiment. Tell us um, about how they work and maybe like reveal some of the benefits of that. Because I think to know that those places exist also give us something to aim for as well. Yeah, absolutely. The interesting thing about talking to Joe as well, we, we touched on the screenwriting thing earlier. It was like interviewing a version of myself as well mm -hmm. because she's had stuff made. She's been very successful. But like any screenwriter, stuff gets cancelled at the 11th hour. It's incredibly frustrating. And also you have so little control over what gets made, how it gets made. Because the difference is if you're an author, you always retain ownership of your story. Yes, you might sell the rights to have a film made of your book, but your book will always exist. Whereas if you're a screenwriter, the crucial difference is if a film company buys the script, they now own that script. It's no longer yours. You can be fired from that script. You can't be fired from your novel, but you can be fired from your script. They can bring in other writers. They can completely change it. And they can also not make it. That's the other thing. So like her, I've been very frustrated in trying to get original ideas made. I mean, you know, just today they announced a reboot of The Matrix. I mean, God, do we really need a reboot of The <laughs> Matrix? You know, it's... Um, it's I love movies. I adore movies, but big blockbuster Hollywood, the stakes are so high now, such a dearth of original ideas that it is getting harder and harder. So more and more screenwriters are turning to self-publishing. Uh, another one I know is Jason Arnott. You know, again, a good screenwriter and made a couple of movies, did some TV. But then, you know, he, he started writing a book called Jack Sparks that got onto the Simon Mayer book club. It's now a bestseller, you know, and he's now got uh, an identity as a best-selling author and a profile that he would never have had as a screenwriter. I can see a lot of screenwriters turning to self-publishing in order just to just to create because that's what we love doing. We love telling stories. We love getting eyes on what we've read, you know, and, and getting people feeding back and telling us that they liked it because we're needy, needy people. <laughs> but it, it goes beyond that though, Mark, as well, doesn't it? It goes beyond that because... I think any creative art, the reason that we even start this crazy journey, for example, or I start writing a new piece of music, you know, even if you're just painting pictures, most of the time we're doing it, it's not just for selfish purposes. Like we want to just write our own book and ch chuckle to ourselves as we read it. Mm. It's about getting it out there. It's about 
having a legacy out in the world, something that lives lives beyond us that can bring joy to other people's world hopefully probably some pain in some instances but the idea of, of it you want to get it out there so i can understand from a scriptwriter's perspective it must be really really challenging when you put all that work in and you never actually see it come to fruition and i think so self-publishing enables us and as authors we should really appreciate this in some ways listening to your story and joe's story that we we control our own destiny we are actually in 100% control of that book being published and being on Amazon, being on those sites and for people to read it. And that's an exceptionally powerful thing. Like even if it doesn't sell well, the fact that it's in your control to, to put it out there, that's huge, isn't it? Yeah. I, I also think the idea of publishing old screenplays is a genius idea. Absolutely genius mm. idea. Like she said, she's only sold 30 or so, but you know, that's, uh, I think it's just such a clever idea of just getting a story out the same. This is something I worked on. It's probably never going to be a movie now, but have a read. Tell me what you think. And you never know. You never know. S- s- you never know who's going to pick There'll that be up. a story. Okay. This is a call yeah. out to anyone in the world who's done that, who's had a screenplay, which they couldn't sell. Then they put it up either as a book. It'd be interesting actually if they can turned it into a book rather than just putting a screenplay up. Mm. And then the book was read by someone. They said, Oh, I want to make this into a film or a movie. And they're like, There you go, it's a screenplay. I mean, it must have happened in the history. Well, of it's it's I'm, it's what I'm doing with one of my scripts. I could you I, be the first? Well, no, I, I I suspect it's been done before. I'm pretty sure it has, but it's a script I should have been writing this year, but then you Skype me out of the blue and we're doing this stupid bloody thing. It was a children's story that I took. I had exactly the same reaction Joe had. I took it. I, I went to LA. I took it around. People loved it, but they can't make it. It's big. It's science fiction. And it's an original idea. And, and the number of people who said, if it was a book... So I, I came back and I thought, yeah, I'm going to write this as a book. I'm going to write this as a book, get it published, and then I've got something, you know, uh, uh, an IP in it, an intellectual property that is mine. Now, that came up a lot, didn't it? IP. IP, and yes. That term in business yeah, yeah. a lot. And it's something I don't think the average writer probably even thinks about when they come to writing a book. But I think it's a very important thing to discuss. I mean, we could probably do a whole Oh yeah, just well, on that, right? It goes on, to, in a nutshell. Yeah, uh, an intellectual property is something that you have created, and the crucial thing is, uh, if you're an author as opposed to a screenwriter, you will always own that for the rest of your life, and then for was it 75 years after your death as well, it remains in your estate. So you will have created a unique expression of art that is yours, always yours. So if you're writing a series with a serious character and someone makes a TV show of that, your name will always be on that, no matter what a hash they make of the TV show (laughs) or if it turns out to be a work of genius, your name will always be on that. So whereas with a screenplay, it becomes a property of a studio. So that's a crucial difference. And again, I think, again, if you're a, a writer, it's a very attractive idea of having something that will always be yours uh, forevermore. And uh, so it's, what is the IP then in Harry Potter? I mean, obviously Harry Potter. Everything J.K. Rowling put on the page belongs to J.K. Rowling. Every little bit of it, uh, so you know, Hogwarts, Hogwarts, Hogwarts yeah, the IP, and yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, the whole thing. So that's why she's done so incredibly well. You know, these things have become part of the vernacular. Uh, and there are now theme parks, you know. Um, so all of that cash goes back to J. 
Joe Rowling and God bless her, you know. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other thing that Joe, talking of Joe's, uh, the other thing that Joe Ho mentioned was she talked about this idea of relaunching, which is really interesting. Yeah. And something we've done in music, actually. We relaunched our album a couple of years. The first album we had, Helium, we relaunched it a few years later when we kind of redesigned the cover. We did a limited edition to begin with. Uh, within books, I think that's a whole new area, which uh, non-print publishing, so digital publishing, gives us the option to do, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, traditional publishers do that, but it's like turning an oil tanker. It takes five miles to turn around, you know? Yeah. It's, um, it's, and it's costly as well. If they, Oh, yeah, know. yeah, it really is. I mean, they they refresh, you know, you look at someone like Ian Rankin, Ian Rankin's images, uh, his cover art back in the 90s before then you know you'd have a revolver on the cover and maybe some blood splattered on the cover and then ian rankin's covers come along and they look literary and mm. they appeal to a completely different market and he becomes a bestseller as a result of it that changed the entire crime market that cover look mm. everyone started copying his cover look um so now ian has to reinvent himself again and again and again and keep ahead of the game so every two or three years ian rankin's covers get get a refurb same with michael Conley, same with any big major brand author but it takes years it takes years to do it because you've got so many books in print out there that you just can't do it overnight but the joy of self-publishing is you have complete control done overnight Absolutely. you know completely rebrand yourself yeah the other thing that, that that did strike me as a bit unusual i've got to say is that joe said she she hadn't used an editor and that that made me quite nervous and I yeah thought, Ooh. I, and I, I think i think this I, needs I, to come with a warning you know yes uh, joe yeah. joe is a very experienced writer i think she knows what she's doing i think the other thing is if you're a screenwriter you self-edit all the time all the mm. time because uh it's usually dealing with a, a shorter piece of work anyway 90 minutes 90 pages 120 pages but you're constantly self-editing and it's it's something we get used to but yeah if you're a first timer if you're you're starting out uh i'd be very very wary of that uh, yeah i think that. the investment i mean she mentioned that it can be very expensive and it certainly can be but i think I kind of see that almost as your university tuition <laughs> in some ways, you know, well, going through with an editor, you learn a lot, don't you, as a writer yeah, but, and you become better writer as a result. But going back to that thing of community, talk to your peers, offer yeah. to read their stuff and they'll read your stuff. Well, you do, you did that quite a lot with, with, I was doing it just this weekend. Um, I was, uh, a friend of mine who'd written, uh, uh who'd read, uh, a script of mine, I was reading a script of his at the weekend and giving him feedback. Uh, a couple of weeks before that, a friend of mine who'd read my fantasy novel and gave me some brilliant notes, I read his uh, novel and gave him some notes back. So, you know, we have this reciprocal thing going on and it's how you make friends in the community. And, yeah. you know, it's, and it's um, finding like-minded people. I think in some ways we yeah. always put health warning this, don't give it to your best friend don't give it to anyone in your family unless they've had an emotional lobotomy because you will end up getting uh, the kind of feedback which may or may not help you. But I think when you find somebody else who's maybe, what I would suggest is somebody else who's got a similar vision, you know, if somebody else is there wanting to say write a bestseller or want to want to write, say, a, a popular book in, say, young adult, 
find someone of that ilk so they understand where you're coming from because i think that's partly the whole process of the editor is finding the editor that really understands and gets you yeah. as a writer that's also what you're looking for but i don't think i mean i love i love tools like grammarly i use it all the time actually not well enough based on your feedback of my spelling in my emails but um <laughs> those tools are brilliant but they're more of the kind of technical automated factory type tools that will help clean up to a point some of your writing but i don't think that you can really get the level of feedback um, Edi editing editing isn't just about the grammar it's and an art form, isn't it? It, it's about someone stepping back and saying thematically this doesn't belong here uh you've gone off topic here tonally this is completely wrong do you really need this to happen here this character didn't feel right to me it's it's a very human and creative interaction. It's not about ticking boxes. So you're right. It is about finding someone that you're in simpatico with. Uh, and it's, um, you know, and when it works, it's brilliant. One other thing that Joe talked about as well, I, she, she's obviously very hot on the whole idea of the power of a website. She used the word landing pages, lead yeah. magnets. That's speaking my language because that's my marketing background. These are things that we really need to learn. You know, if you're getting into writing, you have to learn the basics of these if you want to self-publish and build an audience because it is the language of marketing in self-publishing. Um, I mean, if you go to our website, um, see what we're doing. You know, you'll see that we have the vault of gold that is our free you know the equivalent of joe's free book that's our free book it's there to to give great value to people listening to the podcast but it's also there so that we can then communicate with everyone through our mailing list and and it's part of the experiment you know it's what we've been doing since day one and i'm, I'm making seeing a, i'm seeing a a link between people that are successful writing and their understanding and implementation of these types of things versus people who just write and kind of always push the marketing stuff to like some point in the future, which may never happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's probably why Joe's, you know, as much been successful as with her first two books on top of the fact that she writes well, you know, yeah. it's those two, I always say it's those two together that have to kind of dovetail. Otherwise you've only got one half of the equation. Yeah. No, she's, she's doing stuff. I mean, we've heard some of this before from people like Shannon and, and, and from Mark Dawson, you know, build a mailing list. Do do your research. Get professional cover art. You know, it's um, it's it's all again. You know, you've said we're always looking for these secret ingredients. Well, it's becoming very clear what some of this groundwork is, and and to treat Sweet. it as a as a business. Which yeah. which brings me onto question of the week. Mm. Um, and this came from Ned Marcus on our Facebook page. And do pop over and see us at Bestseller Experiment on Facebook. And he said, Ned said, if we're publishers, and we are. Should we set up a publishing company? And I think it's an it's an interesting question. Again, we could probably do a whole episode on this, but uh, one of the first one certainly when I was a screenwriter, just before uh, when when robots was it became clear that robots was going to get made, I got some financial advice, and they said form a limited company uh, because that will be a way for you to to channel the money. So a you don't kicked in the nadgers by the tax man, and mm. and it allows you to manage it you know, without it just sitting in your personal bank account. Um, and since then, you know, we've had um, my wife and myself, because, you know, from my children's books as well, that we, we, we're 50-50 partners in a limited company. Mm. And uh, I'm... I mean, I'll just, just say for our North American listeners, that's incorporated as the kind of, I think right. that's the equivalent of a limited in, right. in the UK. 
Yeah. Sorry, Mark, do carry on. No, 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 don't jump in. Because I should add, you know, I'm a complete financial nincompoop, frankly. This has been the big learning curve for me, is learning how a limited company is run, um, learning how how to manage a business and, and manage that side of things. And it's hard work. It is hard work, you know, figuring out national insurance and salaries and stuff like that. But it, it, it can be done. Ned was asking if there are any books on this, particularly aimed at publishers or authors. I'm not aware of any. If anyone knows of any, do please let us know. But of course, there is, of course, the business section of your local bookshop because it is a business. It is a yeah, business. And, you know? and it's all part, for me, it's this, It's quite a psychological step. I did exactly the same thing in music. I, I set up a record label from day one. And psychologically, it was a big step to kind of think of yourself as more than just an individual musician or an individual writer. And it is a pain in terms of, you know, it's a bit extra paperwork each year. But it's a psychological step as well. I think it's crossing a threshold. If you think of the call to adventure and the hero's journey, it's like crossing the threshold of going from, you know, I'm just, I'm just a writer to this is a business. This is what I want to be my profession. You know, if most people want to earn a living at writing, then they have to cross a threshold at some point and say, I want this to be my profession. And often you have to imagine yourself moving into that role for it to happen. And one of those good ways of doing it is by setting up a, uh, even if it's just a self, even if it's just a, 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 you know, trading as like a self-employed business, go beyond just thinking of, of yourself as the name on the book. And, and then you start thinking differently and you start to have to kind of learn a bit more, but there's also this kind of learn as you go type thing. I think, you know, a lot of people kind of get scared off because they think, oh, so much to take on, but you kind of deal with the questions as they come up a bit like learning to write a book, I guess. But, um, yeah. So yeah, good good question of the week. And I like like you say, I don't know of any particular resource I've found, but it is like any other business, whether you're selling shoes or books, same rules apply, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing else that also came up that was quite interesting was Joe briefly mentioned beta readers or yes. beta readers, I think, in North America. And um this is another thing that we've not really touched on in a huge extent but we are just to give you a preview we're going to be experimenting with that as well another word that i hear it called actually is 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 an acronym acr which stands for advanced copy readers an acr group um that's something that shannon mayer who we've interviewed a few times that's what she has and so i'm interested and i think we should put it out there mark for authors who are currently using a beta reading group maybe they've got a mailing list they've got a group of people how do you do it we want to hear from you because we want to learn from you we want to learn about it. we're about to start this ourselves how many people do you have in it do you ask do you send them a questionnaire do you get them to read the whole book or just a chapter how does it work give us give us your kind of the lowdown on it because it's something that we're going to be discussing in more detail because we're getting very close to the point where we might need readers to tell us what they think of this book and i think that's such an important part of the kind of research phase before putting it out very few authors do this but again i've noticed that very successful authors typically do it mm. so maybe that's a secret ingredient that we have to explore yeah definitely definitely what about that ten thousand word thing oh, that was pretty <laughs> mental <laughs> that's what i mean about joe she's very experienced she the fingers fly on the keyboard i think with her um you know i mean she sets herself high goals you heard at the beginning she said i'm going to be a bestseller you know i mean that's um whereas we say it and we kind of wince <laughs> well she <laughs> do i do <laughs> um she's she's gone out there and she's done it she's gone it and she you know she she pounds out 
you know, 10,000 words a day. So she is a professional writer. It's what she does. She doesn't have a day job, you know. So, um, but uh, yeah, good for her. That's and- incredible, isn't it? 10,000 words. I mean, but you have to build to that, right? I mean, she yeah, yeah, yeah. come yeah. out of the womb typing like that. No, no, quite. But, and she, um, and it's interesting, she doesn't go back. She just gets it on the page, keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, and then finishes and then goes back and tidies it up afterwards, so. It leads me to the motivational minute this week, Mark, mm. because it reminds me of a wonderful story about Roger Bannister. Do you remember Roger Bannister? Four minute mark. He he was an athlete back in the I can't remember when it was, but he was the first athlete to break the three minute mile. Four minute mile. Uh, four minute mile. Thank you, Mark. That's why you're on the show. <laughs> four minute mile. They've probably broken the three minute mile now, though. But um, the point of the story is is that. Apparently, up until the point where he broke it, thousands of people had tried to break it, and they actually declared that this was impossible. This was a human impossibility, like no one is ever going to break the four-minute mile. But the interesting thing that you don't often hear in the story is that after Roger broke the four-minute mile, in the following six months, about 16 plus, I can't remember the exact numbers, but a large number of people also broke it. And the thing I love about what Joe said is when you hear about people who write 10,000 words in a day, which to some of us just seems like utterly insane and unbelievable, we have to ask ourselves where we are putting our own four-minute mile impossibilities in our own life. I often hear when you talk to writers, they all talk about, oh, I can do a thousand words a day or I do 500. And it's almost like they have etched this number like engraved in their brain, that's all they can do or that's all that's possible. So this week, I want to challenge people as your motivational minute coach, whatever your PB is, your personal best or your average that you do, what would it look like to try to push it 10 extra percent each day and see if that's possible? What would it look like potentially to maybe double your word count in say six months? And like Roger Bannister, you know, once you believe, once you place a limitation or something, then it becomes an impossibility to you. If you allow yourself to lift that and just think, what if, ask that question, what could you create? So uh, have you experienced that, Mark, in terms of your word count actually kind of going up or you feeling that you've kind of hit your ceiling? Yeah, it's, 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 you're right. There is an exercise analogy. You know, if you're, if you're writing every day, uh, it becomes easier. It becomes easier to do that 2,000 words a day. Uh, 10,000 words might be pushing it. But then I'm, you know, I've I've got a day job. I'm only writing sort of essentially two hours a day, all in all. But I sit down, I get on with it. I don't muck about, you know. Uh, yeah. And it's the more you do it, the, the you know, the more you exercise that muscle. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Interesting stuff. Excellent. Well, Mark, I think it's uh, time to do a quick competition announcement because we have been running a competition uh, recently to win an incredible 10th anniversary, uh, beautifully designed book by John Conley, plus uh, his latest novel as well. And we have had many, many entries. So we do want to thank everyone who entered the competition. Unfortunately, there can only be one winner. Uh, But we are going to announce that winner now. So I am going to a bit of a drum roll, please, Mr. Stay. And the winner. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) The winner of our special John Connolly package is Jason Curran. So congratulations, Jason. Well done, Jason. I, I'm going to be. Jason, you'll be, you'll be receiving from 
Mr. Stay, that package yeah. in the post. I'm, I'll be sorry to see that go. That is a book. The hardback is one that I would take out of my, my little locked drawer where I keep all these, and I would stroke it. So it's been well stroked, Jason. Oh, Apologies no. in advance. It's <laughs> a lovely image there. So you don't just win the book, see, you win a bit of bit of Mark's bit DNA. Of, bit my DNA, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you didn't win, do not worry, because we have currently on our website at least five or maybe even more at the time you're listening to this competitions currently running from other best-selling authors with signed copies of their books. So do pop along to the website, bestsellerexperiment.com. Click on the win button in the navigation bar and you can see what ones we currently have. Also, um, we mentioned an awful lot of websites in uh, the interview with Joe. Uh, if they whizzed by, don't worry, they are all in the vault of gold, which is our free ebook. If you sign up to our newsletter, you'll get a copy by return, either in PDF, which you can use on a Kindle device or a PC, or as an EPUB, which you can use in pretty much any smartphone or, 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 or tablet. And right at the back, there is the useful websites and links section, and that's about two pages long now. And it's wow. it's uh, the it's a terrific resource it'll get you started and up and running and get you into those communities and and using those websites that we've we've talked about from show to show and it's free for now it's free for now now. like they say it's only in town for a certain amount of time yeah yeah and if you listen to this podcast in the in the 2090 we apologize if it's not free anymore so if you're listening it today and it's the year 2017 get over and get that book whilst it's still there so, Mark, it's been a real pleasure today. Thank you again to our amazing guest, Joe, for all of her incredible advice. So much more to talk about, which will be no doubt drawing from her wisdom over the next coming weeks. Yeah. Thank you to everyone listening to the podcast. We so appreciate your incredible comments, the fun tweets that we get daily now. Uh, it keeps us sane, doesn't it, Mark, through this insane journey? Definitely keep, keeps us going. So uh, I'm, we're on Twitter at BestsellerXP, or on uh, Facebook, as we mentioned earlier, and also Instagram, BestsellerXP, and Pinterest. So come and say hi. Let us know how you're going. We keep hearing from people with their word counts, and uh, and they're beating us, Mark. They're beating and, us. And people actually finish there are all, we already have people who've finished their books they yeah. say because of the podcast yeah. so yeah, yeah, huge yeah. congratulations to you thank you for showing us what's possible yeah <laughs> in fact we're starting to realize that you guys inspire us yeah. just trying to get this book done and to keep the stories coming it really makes it real for us as we sit here in our little cabins <laughs> talking into these strange microphones yeah <laughs> excellent so listen have a fantastic writing week everyone and we look forward to joining you with another incredible guest next week and so it's a goodbye from Mark 1 and goodbye from Mark 2 bye bye goodbye to read back to reality the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality and subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe